Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Arthur Snell. At a time when Suella Braverman talks of an invasion of migrants and complains that the police have lost control of climate protesters, it seems reasonable to ask who is responsible for these issues in Britain. It turns out that person is someone called Suella Braverman, who is at the time of recording at least our Home Secretary. To try to understand what's going on here, it's a real privilege to be joined today by Alan Johnson, a leading light of the new Labour era and a former Home Secretary under Gordon Brown. Alan, welcome. Thank you. Good to see you, Arthur. And of course, Alan, you're, you're, you're also these days a well-known writer. And I think your most recent book, One of Our Ministers is Missing, takes us onto a sort of thrilling trail of a disappearing foreign office minister. So before we talk about home secretaries, let's talk a little bit about your book. I'd gladly do that, Arthur. Yeah, it was published in September. It's about a junior foreign office minister called Lord Bellingham, who goes missing in the White Mountains of Crete. And we know from the first chapter that there's a contract killer around. We're not quite sure who he's going to kill. And we're not quite sure whether Lord Bellingham has something has befallen him or whether he's disappeared on purpose, a la John Stonehouse back in, in 1974. So because there's a scandal breaking gradually in the UK while he's in Crete, there's a, there's a view that maybe he's faked his own demise. So all of that is about as much as I can say about the plot without giving too much away. But it follows on from the late train to Gypsy Hill, uh, same detective, Louise Mangan. And I'm writing the third one now, which will be out next year. So three thrillers, three Louise Mangan thrillers. And it's an absolute delight to be creating fiction. Well, if I can make a slightly... um artificial link. A minister who might wish she was missing and and completely disappeared is Suella Braverman, who of course has had a rather unusual path. Uh, She was briefly Home Secretary in the even briefer period of the Liz Truss Prime Ministership, resigned after committing what seemed like a pretty serious security breach. But then only a small number of days later, she was rehired by our current Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. So before we talk about what a tough job being Home Secretary is. Let's talk a little bit about that security aspect to it. What what was your uh, take on what seemed to be a pretty slipshod approach to national security? Yeah, um, ironically, it was the same kind of slipshod approach that Gavin Williamson show, uh, showed when he was Defence Secretary. You know, taking a document that is, I mean, I don't know whether it was classified, but it was certainly private, and relaying it to one of her backbench chums uh, who, you know, hadn't cleared home office hurdles to receive documents like that, and then seeming to be surprised uh, when it was discovered and and quite rightly resigning. The amazing thing was Rishi Sunak bringing her back. Amazing because he didn't have to stand on the steps of Downing Street and say integrity is crucial in my government. didn't have to say that. He said it and then went and reappointed her, which kind of under undermined what he'd said originally. But Suella is really taking on the Pretty Patel mantle, you know, of talking a lot as if she's not the Home Secretary, as if she's the shadow Home Secretary about all the problems that need to be solved, but doing diddly squat about solving them, failing completely to resolve them. And I say that in the spirit of, you know, we had people coming over here in their hundreds of thousands in a different way, not in small boats across the channel, but you'll remember in the back of trucks. 
And what David Blunkett did as Home Secretary, he didn't write articles for the Daily Express talking about an invasion and all this hyperbole. He went across to France, met his opposite number, Nicolas Sarkozy, who was then the Interior Minister, and thrashed out a deal that virtually moved our border from Dover to Calais. It was suddenly British security uh, border force that was that was operating in Calais, an extraordinary agreement and an agreement that could only be made between two countries that had a lot of respect and friendship for one another. And the problem was resolved overnight. None of that. There's talk now about some kind of deal that Macron may be doing uh, with our prime minister. It's taken a long time to get a grip on this issue. And, you know, grip is really what it needs. There's no insurmountable problem. Uh, there's There's things that you know, take a time to get on top of. But, you know, this has been now, what, three years in the making and the volumes coming over have increased dramatically. When we look at uh, this issue of emails uh, going astray and, and as you say, passing to someone who doesn't have the, the clearances, it points to the underlying issue that the Home Office is an incredibly complex department with a almost unbelievably wide-ranging remit. So as someone who's who's sort of survived holding that job, can you explain to the uh, listeners just how broad that waterfront is? Not as broad as it used to be, Arthur. This is the point. I mean, if I was the Home Secretary back in, you know, if I was Merlin Rees in the early 70s, I'd not only have responsibility for immigration and crime and counter-terrorism, really important then, because of the uh, uh, the troubles in Ireland. I'd also have responsibility for prisons and I'd, res- I'd have responsibility for criminal justice. I'd have responsibility for esoteric issues like fox hunting, animal welfare. I would have, incidentally, I would own every pub and club in Carlisle because they were all nationalised in the First World War because a big munitions factory was set up near Carlisle and they didn't want the workers to be drinking too much. So they brought up every, they, they purchased every pub and club. They were owned by the Home Office until 1973. Now that is a broad remit. That is a big, you know, waterfront to patrol. And I think once prisons and criminal justice were stripped away, it meant that the Home Secretary actually did, can no longer moan and complain uh, that they've got too much on their plate. They've got policing, they've got counter-terrorism, they've got immigration. I don't think we'll ever go back to the bigger departments that it used to be. And of course, it's it's one of the, the most historic uh, so-called great offices of state. But it may be less of a job uh, than when you were running the pubs in Carlisle. But it does seem to be one that has been a bit of a political graveyard. And Allied with that is this idea that the Home Office as an institution, there's a slightly kind of millwall culture. Every, everyone hates us, but we don't care. So what, what was it like being Home Secretary in, in that sort of situation? It was tough. But I mean, Theresa May was the 11th Home Secretary, I believe I'm right, go on to be Prime Minister. So it's not that much of a graveyard. Herbert Morrison, Peter Madison's grandfather, who was Home Secretary during the war, said the walls of the Home Office are paved with dynamite. 
And Jack Straw made the very, very pertinent comment that whereas when you're in education, you know, teachers, children, they all want to do well. They want your department to do well. When you're in uh, health, it's the it's the same. When you're in the home office, the people you're dealing with are criminals and they want you to do very badly. So, you know, there's always something waiting to break out. And Jack said, you know, at this very moment when he gave this interview, something is happening somewhere that is going to threaten to cost me my job. So it is difficult, but it's not DCMS as used to be. It used to be called, you know, culture, media and sport used to be called the Ministry for Fun. The Home Office could never be mistaken for the Ministry of Fun. But I enjoyed it. And you asked about, you know, my time there. Of course, and this is the thing, uh, when when Rishi Sunak had his first Prime Minister's questions, he said to Keir Starmer, a very distinguished director of public prosecutions, incidentally, he said to Keir Starmer, oh, there's Labour, uh, soft on crime and a policy of open borders. Keir didn't respond to that, but I, it, I worry that that's something in the public perception. Crime halved on our watch. Between 1997 and 2010, crime halved. Domestic violence came down by 64%. Violent crime came down by 56%. It was a huge success. In fact, no other government, since records were created, can show a concerted reduction in crime of that level. And as for immigration, when I was Home Secretary, net migration, 110,000. Net migration now, 250,000. And in the, the figures just before the referendum on the European Union, whether we should remain in the EU, the figure hit a record of 333,000 under a prime minister who'd said he'd get it down to the tens of thousands, which was vainglorious. So I'm afraid we've got the real... We're the ones who are tough on crime and haven't got open borders. It's the Tories that have really failed in this respect. And by the time I went there, you know, the heavy lifting had been done. Crime was coming down. We were in a much better position. Yes, there were problems to resolve. You know. Asylum claims were dealt with within six months. There was a period in the late nineties when it took three years. It took six months. Look at it now. Look at the problems we're having now. And there were just as many claims for asylum. Okay, they came from a different part of the world. Although those parts of the world—Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq—still account for most of them. But above them is Albania, and that's a, that's a thing we might come on to. But you know, so. It's great to be Home Secretary when your record is as good as that. It's a bit more difficult for Suella, who's seen things go the other way, crime at its highest level for 20 years now. Just as you were, um, you came at the end of a fairly long period that the Labour Party had been in government. Suella has come from, you know, we're now in 12 years of the Tory government. And as you said at the outset... She does have this rather odd habit of of behaving as if she's in opposition or even that she's just a sort of right wing columnist. Uh, she tells the police to get tougher on just stop oil extremists, saying that it's out of control. She talked she talked about an invasion. Someone might want to say, who on earth is in government then? Exactly. Arthur. This is really important because, you know, I think the public have seen so many hats change, you know, in terms of prime ministers. The BBC continually talk about a new government. It's not a new government. It's a conservative government with a different prime minister. So, yes, and she said, of course, and told us what we all knew, the asylum seat system is broken, which is why Keir Starmer, at the very next prime minister's questions, asked Rishi Sunak, if it's broken, who does he think broke it? 
Unfortunately, there is still a sort of media environment that uh, is willing to print the columns and, and give voice to this. And in spite of the fact that your party leader is a former director of public prosecutions, somehow portray Labour as as soft on crime, soft on illegal immigration and so on. Do you think that's going to work? Is that going to wash with, with the British public? I don't think so. I think part of our problem is that the Labour Party was very quiet about its record on crime for some reason. I mean, you know, Johnny Blair famously said when he was Shadow Home Secretary, we're going to be tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime. But that success was never heralded. If you ask Labour people to talk about the good things that happened in those 13 years, they'll talk about the national minimum wage. They'll talk about, you know, four weeks paid holiday for all workers. They'll talk about peace in Northern Ireland. They'll talk about Sure Start Children's Centres. It, very rarely will they get round to and crime halved because the point that Tony Blair was making way back then, Shadow Home Secretary, was Labour is quite uncomfortable in this area. I don't, and in our 13 years in government, we should have become very comfortable in this area. And it wasn't until Keir Starmer came in, who is now beginning to redress that. He sees this as fertile territory for Labour. Theresa May was my immediate successor as Home Secretary. She cut the number of police by a fifth. She cut policing by a fifth. She offered up in the age of austerity. She didn't have to be dragged out of her. She offered up the biggest savings proportionally for any department. And I, I was perplexed. And for a while, she, it survived. The, the momentum was still on crime coming down. 50% of police community support officers went in, in, in over that period. It's caught up with them now. And, of course, Boris Johnson came in and said, oh, we need to recruit police. But their difficulty is they lost all of that experience and and what they're trying to recruit now, and that's part of the vetting problems we've seen recently. They're trying to recruit at pace, and they've lost so much experience by getting rid of 20% of the force, spending five years getting rid of them and then madly trying to re-recruit them. So it's no way to run a chip shop. But no one was pointing that out effectively until Keir Starmer and Yvette Cooper, who's the perfect shadow Home Secretary for these times. Now, there is, of course, uh, in a way, what you described there, the way that the Labour Party perhaps was a bit uncomfortable or, or a bit reticent about its own strong record on crime and security, there is, like any political party, there is a sort of coalition, and there are maybe some in, in the Labour Party that, that feel um, very uncomfortable with, with the really unpleasant rhetoric that we hear now from, from the Tories. Lots of people are scratching their heads and saying, well, why are so many people from Albania coming to Britain? You know, Albania is a place that some people even go on holiday these days. So what, what's going on there? Good question. Search me. I mean, uh... The biggest surprise to me is 52% of those, I mean, first of all, they're not assessing claims anywhere near as fast as they need to. Of all the Albanians that came last year, and it was the top group last year, 4% have been processed. 96% haven't even been touched. It is getting back to three years to uh, to process them. But the surprise was of those few that are being assessed, 52% of Albanian claims are being allowed. Now, there's an issue about modern slavery that I don't quite understand. The modern slavery legislation wasn't in place when I was Home Secretary, and no doubt there's women being trafficked for prostitution or whatever. 52%? I mean, in Germany, 
Zilch, none. No Albanians have been given leave to remain. Similarly in France. Here, 52%. So there's something wrong there as well that we ought to latch on to. And we may come on to this, but can I just gently remind anyone who's listening who thinks that you know, the only reason people are trying to come here is is because of the benefit system. I mean, that's nonsense because the gen- benefit system is far more generous in other countries. It's more generous in Sweden. It's more generous in Holland. It's more generous in Germany. What does Sweden, Germany and Holland have in common? They have a national identity card system. And the point is about this country is not just the attraction because of the English language and because relatives being here. Because you can disappear into the workplace very easily in this country because you don't need to show a biometric identity card. And that's why it's right that that argument now, raised by Stephen Kinnock recently, it's inevitable we're going to have an identity card system. It, the, it was a slam dunk argument 12 years ago. And now, with more technology, with fewer arguments against on the basis of privacy, because privacy is now. You know, if that's your argument, well, there's plenty of other things eroding on your privacy. It's going to have to come back because, it, you know, the only people who are worried about, seriously worried about the introduction of an ID card are criminal gangs. And it's there to protect and prove your identity, not, not particularly for dealing with migration, but it comes in very handy there as well to know who you've got in your workforce and to be able to go to a place and find out who's there illegally and who's not. I want to talk a little bit about the risks associated with this current approach, which, as you identified at the outset, began with Priti Patel, but definitely being picked up by Suella Braverman to really push the culture war aspects using this dread word woke all the time, seeking, you know, this nonsense about people eating tofu and, and so on. Do you think this is a sort of carefully worked out strategy or is this a slightly desperate kind of lashing out as they realise that their overall kind of political movement is really in quite a lot of difficulty at the moment? I think it might have been part of their strategy, having looked at how badly things had gone, you know, from 2010 onwards, just going back to that, Theresa May cancelled control orders and introduced T-pins, which is a very, very milky version. And, you know, under Cameron's leadership, four very serious terrorists disappeared off of control orders. So that wasn't good for them. The antisocial behaviour legislation was all ripped away, and now you get antisocial behaviour everywhere. So as their record was pretty poor, I wouldn't be surprised if part of the strategy was to kind of deflect it onto this woke stuff. I mean, I'm not there anymore, and I, I can't speak with any authority, but I'd be very surprised if there was a single chief constable or Met commissioner who was engaged in you know this kind of woke stuff to the extent that that home secretaries not just suella bradman but her predecessors suggest they are they've been left desperately trying to cover for all the staff that they've lost to cover for the collapse of neighborhood policing the loss of a fifth of their budget as well as a fifth of their force so I think it's basically it's basically nonsense. But I do get a feeling now that the tide's turning. I was frustrated that no one ever seemed to speak about this now. But a combination of Keir Starmer, the government's travails, the obvious failures of Priti Patel and now Suella Braverman, I think the public are now recognising that the old feeling that, oh, the Tories are good on law and order and labour isn't, that, that that has changed. That's certainly Keir Starmer's strategy. Hello. 
I'm Ros Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now? The politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in the New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? with me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. In modern Britain, it's, it's probably a stupid idea to try and predict elections. But just imagine if there were to be an election very soon, perhaps unexpectedly, and Labour found itself back in government and Yvette uh, Cooper was, was there at the Home Office. What should be her agenda for the first 100 days? Oh, crikey. I would get cracking and uh, introduce a national ID card as quickly as possible. That's not an easy thing to do. I'll be surprised, actually, if Sunak doesn't get there first such an obvious argument now with what's happening across the channel. But I think, you know, relationships with the police will be very important because I think they've virtually gone into cold storage. And it's really crucial for the Home Secretary to be meeting chief constables every so often. We used to meet them, what, once a fortnight. The liaison with MI5, which is crucial with the security service, that was a weekly meeting and sometimes daily. I think that's kind of fallen a bit by the wayside as well. But in terms of practical things, you know, the recruitment has to go ahead. She should make a major uh, announcement on neighbourhood policing that, and that every citizen has as of right to be able to expect this from your police, which includes the fact they'll come around and talk to you. <laughs> There's been a crime. They'll record the crime and they'll They'll take it up. That's all fallen by the wayside in terms of detection rates. So I, th- I think, you know, all of that stuff, just a basic common sense approach to policing. And Yvette, I think, would do that, would do that very well. On immigration, the answer is not to go back into the European Union. That might be the answer to a lot of the problems we face, but it ain't going to happen for a long time. But there has to be a version of the Dublin Accord that we can use because that's another reason why people come here. The Dublin Accord, of course, said that if you are in a country, the first country you ever hit in the European Union, you have to apply for asylum. And we're no longer part of it. We don't have that protection. So we need something to replace that. We need the relationship with Macron to be really good because that's part of the problem of small boats coming across the channel. And then I'd say this. You know, there was a real problem with piracy around the Horn of Africa. You might remember this, when no ship could go around there, you know, without a bunch of idiots with guns coming out on, you know, we don't hear about it anymore. And so often you think it's a bit like in a, on the domestic front, teenage pregnancies. You know, it's an issue that's been solved, but no one talks about it now it's solved. But we need to, to say, look, here, governments can solve these problems. And on that problem of piracy around the Horn of Africa, a huge, huge effort by Interpol, the crime agencies in this country, the European Union solved the problem. Now, the issue of criminal gangs is international. And incidentally, if Rwanda, that was a pipe dream that's never going to happen, if Rwanda ever did happen, then the criminal gangs would be organising for people to come from Rwanda into this country. That's what happened when Israel tried. But 
why the international crime agencies have not got together to tackle this in- issue of piracy escapes me. It's much easier than drugs. With drugs, you know, you've got all kinds of ways you can smuggle it. With people ending up on a boat on the coast in full sight, as Suella Bradman probably found out when she went up in that helicopter, she went up in a Chinook just to see the coast. I mean, they could have shown her a map. You know, it is so clear that, that a concerted effort against these criminal gangs internationally as we did around the Horn of Africa, as has happened on various occasions with uh, narcotics, where they've had huge success uh, occasionally and some failures. That needs to happen as well, with Britain kind of playing its part and making its contribution. Alan Johnson, it's fantastic to have your depth of experience and and to hear those insights from, from your own time. And thank you for joining us in the bunker. It's a pleasure, Arthur. Thank you very much. Listeners, Remember, there's a new Bunker Daily every day. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. You can also back us on Patreon. Just see our social media for details. Thanks for listening and see you next time. The Bunker Daily was presented by Arthur Snell. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, with additional production from Jack Gerbertson, Kasia Tomaszewicz, and me, Alex Reese. Our marketing manager was Gina Richard. Music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>